All right. It's a lovely fall day. I love fall. Talking about the weather up here. Um, And so we are going to, we've been moving through Acts. So if you have a Bible with you or your phone, you want to turn to Acts 14. Um, Lovely fall day. So we're going to look at the story of Paul being stoned at Lystra. (laughs) It's, It's where we're at in Acts. So Acts 14, we'll read through it. And then, uh pray and and I'll share a a few things with you guys, okay? Acts 14. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and, the, and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, 
and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. I'm going to pray for us. Father in heaven, we want you to be glorified. We want you to be lifted up in this place. And we want dead men to arise. Dead women to arise, God. Or maybe people that thought they were dead. Faiths that thought they were dead in this place come alive today. Send your spirit now, God. Fill this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes we trivialize the Bible. We put a Sunday school spin on R-rated material. It goes like this. Remember the time Paul was stoned and nearly killed and then the disciples found him and he popped up and was fine? That Paul. I think the Bible deserves a little more integrity, a little more fully human emotion. Let's look at this passage with Christ's eyes. It starts with Paul and Barnabas sharing the gospel and ministering in Iconium. Verse 3 says, They remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So in other words, they were sharing the most precious truth imaginable, that God had taken human flesh and is now offering grace to all humanity. And the evidence of this grace is the healing and restoration that Paul and Barnabas were performing, not performing. The evidence of the grace is healing and restoration, right? Doesn't that sound terrible? What is so bad about that? Why is that offensive? Scripture says that both the Gentiles and the Jews of Iconium sought to mistreat them and to stone them. So Paul and Barnabas are sharing nothing but good news. The response of the Iconians is to try and murder them. So they leave. They go to Lystra, where a man is healed, and the pagan crowds begin to worship them as, the God, as gods, Hermes and Zeus. I kind of like this because Barnabas, they worshiped as Zeus and Paul as Hermes. And I don't know... I know what Zeus looks like. He's like big and muscular and like strong, you know. Hermes, I don't know what he looks like, but he doesn't sound like that, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so the Jews of Iconium, and, and when the Bible says the Jews, they're, they're speaking to religious people, right? They're not speaking to ethnicity here. When the Jews of Iconium show up, um, and con they convinced the Lystra crowds to stone Paul and drag him out of the city. 
And so these men who are just worshiping Paul smash him with rocks and drag him out of the city to die in a trash heap. That's what was outside the city. It was where they threw waste. That's what happened, right? This is, this is the non-Sunday school, the real reality of what happened here. Um, the disciples find Paul. He rouses up, and he and Barnabas move on to Derby, and they eventually return to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, and they continue strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. I want to talk to you today about perseverance. There's a lot of things we can talk about in this, in this passage, but I think perseverance is, is just something I want to highlight. And the reason why I want to talk to you about perseverance in this passage is because I believe that perseverance is the most important character trait in a Christian. We are going to look at a couple of aspects of Christian perseverance through this text, Acts 14. Those two aspects are perseverance in the face of attack. Some of you guys are getting attacked right now. Most of you probably in some ways are getting attacked. If you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you're under attack now. Okay, And I want to talk about perseverance in faith-filled work. So perseverance in the face of attack. Big things require big perseverance. Maybe you thought it was going to be easier than it is. Maybe you thought living in Rhode Island, moving to New England, was going to be easier than it is. Maybe you thought being the first person in your family to stay married was going to be easier than it is. Maybe you thought staying sober was going to be easier than it is. Being the first Christian in your family was going to be easier than it is. Maybe not. Maybe you knew it was going to be hard, but you didn't know it was going to be this hard. And the reason why it's hard is because when God called you out of darkness, you were called into a role to take enemy territory. It's hard right now for you because you're taking enemy territory. Your marriage is hard because you stepped on a hornet's nest and didn't even realize you did it, right? The workplace is hard because now you're a Christian in a stronghold of the enemy. Some of you had no idea that you were stepping into hornet's nests. Strongholds that have been there for generations in your family, 
unhealthy ways of relating to other, unhealthy codependent relationships God's calling you out of. And the moment you take two steps forward, it feels like the enemy's just punching you right in the face. Anybody know what that's like? Paul knows what it's like. He steps out into enemy territory, right? And one of the first things that happens to him is they try to stone him. They throw rocks at him, right? Then he leaves, and he goes into another territory, and all he's doing is preaching Jesus and healing people, right? He's not stealing from people. He's, all he's doing is God's work, kingdom work. And what's the first thing that happens? He encounters enemy attacks. Now, I think it's important when we understand you know, the what. We have to understand the why. The what is, if you're a Christian, you are taking enemy territory back right now. The why, I think one of the reasons why is because the perseverance it takes to take that territory produces character in you. Because there's more territory than just the battle you're fighting right now. In Acts 14, Paul never quits. He leaves one town, goes to the other town, and keeps preaching healing. Keeps preaching the gospel. The enemy's threats of attack don't stop him. The enemy's actual attacks don't stop him. You see, there's the spiritual attacks of the mind, and then there's the actual attacks. You could be in your workplace and have the spiritual attacks of your mind, right? The enemy telling you it's not worth it, give up. You weren't actually called here. And then there's the actual attack of the coworker, right? Who criticizes you in the exact way that hurts the most. That's spiritual. That's not just a coincidence. It's because you're taking enemy territory. You're a Christian called into enemy land. And what God's doing when that happens is he's producing character in us, right? Paul writes in Romans 5, 3 through 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The work works on us, right? We don't just do the work for the sake of the work. We do the work partly because the work is building in us character, character to move on to other strongholds, right? Victory, one victory, one victory becomes two. When two victories becomes three and three victories becomes four, suddenly your identity is victorious. But the moment that the perseverance stops, the moment that you quit and says, this is too hard, now your identity doesn't have that, doesn't have that foundation, right? Now your identity is one of you're, you're almost reinforcing what the enemy's telling you to do, which is quit. For Paul, one lashing 
became a lashing and a stoning, then a shipwreck. Before you know it, you're a mighty oak. And there isn't anything that's going to take you down. Why? Was it because you knew all the Bible verses, right? Because you did all the right things? No. The reason why is because every time the enemy knocked you down, you got back up and you kept moving and you had perseverance. And perseverance over time leads to a victorious identity. So don't quit. I love the movie Rocky. <laughs> I thought I was going to get some eye rolls on that. I'm glad I got some fans. The first Rocky is actually a really good movie. Um, and the thing I love about Rocky is he's actually not a good boxer. Like, Rocky's best move is getting punched in the face over and over again. If there's a four-minute fight in Rocky, three and a half of those minutes are him getting pummeled in the face, right? But what's great about Rocky? What's great about Rocky is no matter how many times he's hit, he keeps coming back, right? Rocky starts off in that movie, and, and his identity is a bum, right? He says, I don't want to be a bum, right? But what Rocky has, he doesn't have a ton of talent. Right? He doesn't have all the boxing chops in the world, but what he has is heart, and he keeps getting up off that mat, keeps getting punched time and time, and keeps coming. That's faith. That's perseverance. This is the most important thing about faith. A lot of times we define our faith by the things we do or the holiness that we take on. But when the church reformed in the 1500s, the way you knew you were a Christian had nothing to do with the church you paid membership fees to. The way you knew you were a Christian had nothing to do about the fact that the priest was your brother-in-law. The way you knew you were a true believer then is that you never gave up the faith. You kept coming. The enemy kept attacking. You kept coming. You kept fighting for what was rightfully yours. When the enemy wounds you and knocks you to the mat, you showed up at small group. That's faith. That's perseverance. When his minions threw stones at you and took you out of the game for a season, you sang songs of praise. That's true faith. That's perseverance. Because in the same way, you can never take the fight out of a fighter. You can never take faith from the believer. You might have major doubts for a season, but joy comes in the morning. Your mind might lie to you and tell you God's not real, but your soul keeps you coming back on Sundays. Your soul keeps you opening that Bible one more time. You have perseverance, you have faith, and you will do mighty things. This is the problem with so many ministries nowadays. They don't have room for a theology of perseverance. 
the world is outpacing the church in this regard. Let me explain to you. In the world of recovery, you relapse, you figure out what happened and why it happened, you adjust, and you get better. That's what happens in the world now, right? Science is starting to actually see, hey, there's a purpose for relapse. If we don't stigmatize a relapse, right? And we actually start to understand why is this person relapsing? Why is this addict relapsing? Then we can actually uh, catalyze change. We can actually figure out how we fell and start the cycle of change again, right? But here's what happens in the church. This is what happens in religious places. You relapse in many churches, a pastor calls you backslidden. You relapse in certain ministries, you lose your position. You relapse in certain churches, the church people start gossiping about you. There's no room for perseverance in these kinds of places. So we become actors and religious and act like we have it all together. We have to do better than that because God is calling us to perseverance. He's not calling us to perfection. His perfection will come as we give him perseverance, right? As we have the faith to show up in that prayer closet, even if it's five minutes a day. As we have faith to just keep going to the workplace we know he's called us to in this season, he's going to make it perfect, right? His job is perfection. Our job is perseverance. I'm so happy I have Pastor Scott as a pastor. There's been so many times... I came to this church, I was 28. I got saved out of drugs. I got saved out of just a mess of a lifestyle. I was a broken person. There's been so many times where he's restored me. So many times, right? So many times where he's brought me up. Remember when Paul was stoned? The other believers came outside of the walls and they lifted him up and they brought him to Derby and the ministry continued. Sometimes we need perseverance from another person to help us along. We got to keep going. Perseverance produces character. And I want to talk to you also about perseverance in faith-filled work. All growth takes patience. Early growth takes a lot of patience. Most of the like, highly successful entrepreneurs have years in years of sleeping on couches and unpaid work and near bankruptcy and sometimes real bankruptcy until their little baby company becomes Amazon or Tesla or Berkshire Hathaway. And the kingdom is not different. See, when Jesus came and started his, his preaching ministry, he used metaphors like investment, talents. He used metaphors like agriculture, farming. And the reason why he did that is because he wants us to look to the world to glean wisdom from so that we can operate at a higher level in the kingdom, right? Kingdom growth 
is similar in many ways to growth in the world. And yet, again, in the church, we don't understand that disciplined, focused, patient work is how true growth and true harvest results. Let's take a look at the people of Lystra. They are spiritual infants. Their minds are as soft as their theology. One minute they are ready to worship Paul and Barnabas as gods. The next minute they are trying to kill them. It seems and acts like there's these rapid transitions of spiritual growth in which thousands get saved and the church is solidified and growing. And there is revival at play. I believe revival is an accelerated movement of the normal work of the Holy Spirit. But the reality is there's also time passing in these passages. And with time, there is discipleship and tending of sprouts before we get trees that bear harvest. Couple notes on this. The conversion of the Jews that we read in this passage was a conversion of biblically literate theists, right? So the people that were becoming Christians already believed in the Bible. They already believed in a monotheistic God. They were already going to church. It was like going to a friend who grew up his whole life devout, let's say, I'm just going to use this example, devout Catholic, right? But really believes that they need to keep working if they're going to get to God, right? And it's just like, it was a simple conversion in a way. But the conversion of the pagans, the people of Lystra, Gentiles, most New Englanders, it's a conversion of infants, right? Babies take a lot of work, a lot of work. This isn't meant to be an insult. When I came here at 28, asked Pastor Scott, I took a lot of work, a lot of investment, you know? Paul writes this in, in, in 1 Thessalonians. He said, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Right? This is the kind of ministry that Paul was implementing the kind of ministry that was taking an infant into adulthood. The world we live in, it's fractured our relationship. It's fractured our relational depth. So that's a really tough thing to do, right? I mean, the relational depth between a mother and her kid, a mother and a baby, is like almost constant. And yet, this is, how, this is how Paul established the churches. The depth there was so deep, right? I think we greatly overestimate the kind of kingdom growth we can see in a year or two, and we sometimes underestimate 
the kind of kingdom growth possible in 10 or 20 years. The problem is we lose patience and perseverance and we start jumping from model to model when the results are not what we want in the time that we want them. This is why Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, God hates visionary dreaming, right? Because it makes the visionary dreamer proud. Because the situation that we're called to, the church that we're called to, if it's not fitting our ideal, if the relationships are hard, right? If the people we're called to minister aren't bearing fruit for years, we give up. Our dreams take us elsewhere, right? I think one of the great examples of this impatience that we see today is just a general church hopping, right? We go to a church, we realize that church has brokenness, we realize that church has broken people, and we say, eh, time to go to a new church, right? That's why some of my favorite people here are the people that have been walking with the Lord for the longest, and they're the people that have been in this place forever. And if you were to ask forever, they've been here for, you know, almost the length of the church. If you were to ask those people, hey, do you agree with everything about Renaissance Church? They'd probably have a list of things that maybe they don't fully agree with, <laughs> you know? But there's been a consistency. There's been a plantedness, right? They're seeing a vision through. I also think that we're just relationally shallow in, in this aspect. Relationships take time and energy and focus, and you can't have 20 deep relationships at one time. You just can't. Maybe three. And it's funny because, again, the idea of let's launch a new initiative because new creates momentum, that's not something you'll find in the business world, not at a successful level. Serial entrepreneurs don't necessarily make it. They make it when they have focused hard work in one direction. A, a farmer who's got 40 different crops, right, trying to make one work usually doesn't have anything that works. We have to be focused in our discipleship efforts. We have to be like mothers with young children, right? Because a lot of the people that we're trying to reach, a lot of the enemy territory that we're trying to get a hold of, it's like we're walking into a situation with infants, and we need that relational depth, and we need that focus and attention. And some of you guys have been, like, you've been down on yourself when you've been, like, raising your kids in the Lord. You know, you've been thinking, man, if only like my 14 neighbors, if only I could like do more than have a conversation every once in a while about Jesus. And the reality is you've been faithful the whole time and that voice isn't the voice of God, right? Because if you could, if every Christian in the world right now could lead three people to Jesus, we'd be, we'd have a Christian world in like a decade, you know, it's, it's not, we get, we beat ourselves up because we're not converting an entire region to Jesus. And meanwhile, we've got like one person we're called to. This is why so oftentimes pastor's kids grow up messed up 
because their dad's trying to reach 150 people and not reaching the ones in his own home, right? We have to be a people who are intentionally relational and faithful with what we have. Faith-filled work, and faith-filled work does yield a harvest in time. Human beings grow at remarkably slower rates than other animals. <laughs> it's crazy. You see those videos of deer and they're born and they're like walking in like an hour, you know? But the way God's ordained it is like humans grow so much slower and deeper. They're intricate. Right? You could tell I have a one-year-old at home, you know? Spiritual growth takes time and patience at well as well. And sometimes it involves kicking and biting and tantrums and a whole lot of focused love and attention. You know, one, one example that I think of is, is, um, is the branch ministry at Brown. And for like over a decade you know, John and Lynn, they were faithful in that ministry. And it wasn't like this attractional model where they'd get like, you know, 200 kids on campus. It was like, okay, I'm going to have coffee with kids. I'm going to really develop these relationships. And in time, we've seen that the, the students, I actually was there kind of when it transitioned and the students became a little bit more just in charge of their own discipleship. And it was amazing to see because these kids had been trained in what discipleship looks like. And that fruit took years. It took years, but it was a focused, consistent effort on behalf of the Michelsons, you know? So we all just need to be faithful with, with what we got, right? We need to grow deep. Anyway, that's what I got. So perseverance. Perseverance in in the face of attack and perseverance um, in faith-filled work. So let me, let me pray for us right now. Father, I just thank you for these saints here. And they are saints. And their names are written on the Lamb's Book of Life. And they keep coming. And the enemy gets them alone and speaks unspeakable things to them. And they keep coming. Because they know the sound of their shepherd's voice. God, I pray encouragement right now in this congregation. Encouragement to be okay being patient with small things that take time. Encouragement that just... Getting up and going and taking a few steps, as many steps as possible, but as, you know, even if it's just a few steps at a time, can be faithful. Lord, I thank you for Paul's example of continuing and sharing the good news. Nothing stopped him. God, we want that in our hearts. No COVID, no sickness will stop us in the name of Jesus. 
God, we pray power over this church right now. God, I pray that you would disintegrate every tumor in this church right now, God. Out in the name of Jesus. No enemy's attacks, God, will harm us, God. We pray for big faith in this church. Big faith to keep believing, keep taking territory. God, there's no coincidence that, that we'll take some territory and then, and then like it's like physically something will happen to us, right? A dad wants to play more with his kids and his hips will start hurting, God. We pray healing in the name of Jesus, God. No discouragement in the name of Jesus, Father God. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you that you use even a vessel like me, God. Lord, I just thank you that there's so many vessels here that are filled with good things, Lord. And I just pray against the enemy's attacks and making them feel like they don't have it. They don't have it together, God. I pray for perseverance. I pray for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.